0: moving forward in our series called The Way, which is based on one of Jesus's largest sermons that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been learning that God is establishing what we have come to call the upside-down kingdom. This is the idea that the qualifications that the world has in order for someone to be important are not the qualifications that Jesus has. So the poor and the powerless and the grieving and the downtrodden people now all of a sudden have access to inherit the kingdom alongside everybody else. And God is calling us to live a life that's different than anything that we've ever experienced. He's come to fulfill the law and our hearts. And this series, the way we're doing it is we're just going down the line of verses in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're doing that. Sometimes we'll have a a big chunk of verses. Sometimes we'll have just a couple. Today, we just have a couple. We're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. And it might actually be titled as murder in your Bible. But as we'll find out, it's actually more about anger and insults. And I'm really excited about today because as I was preparing, God was able to take me on a really fun adventure through the scripture and about how anger and insults and the words we use and how we treat other people, how God has been trying to drive this narrative from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end and even today in our hearts. And so I'm hoping that I'm able to do that with you guys and help lead you through the journey that God led me on when I was working through this. But before we do that, I'm going to pray for us in our time together and pray over the word that we're going to be reading. So bow your heads and pray with me. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for caring about us so deeply that you even care about the words that we say. We love you, and we're so thankful for your word that you've given us through Scripture. I pray that you will illuminate this for us. I pray that you will open our minds and hearts, and that your word would fall on good soil in our lives, and we can plant that in our souls, and it can become fruitful, so we can show your love to others around us. We'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today we are going to be using our Bibles a lot and depending on what type of Bible you have, you are either going to be flipping or scrolling through a lot of scripture. Um, but if you are not the kind of person, if you don't want to try to mess with that, all of the scriptures we're going to be using today are going to be up on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible... Um, please come find me after service. We would love to get you a Bible or we could love to show you how to access it online if you want a different option or have a different Bible study tools. That's something that we are really passionate about is getting people in the word. And so if that's something that you need, do not be afraid to ask, just come find us and we'll help you get it settled. But our journey today starts in Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22, which again is in the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not m- commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that anyone, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Oof! All right, let's break this down. All right. Here Jesus says, you have heard it said, dot, 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 but I tell you. This is a common phrase and you need to get used to it because we're going to be hearing it a lot over the next few months. Jesus is establishing this upside down kingdom and he's not abolishing the law of Moses or the laws that were given to us in the Old Testament, but he's fulfilling it. So Jesus says, you might have heard this, but I'm telling you that you need to go deeper than just that. And he's going to say this over and over and over again. Because it's not just about who we are on the outside, it's about who we are on the inside. And that is what Jesus is doing with the law. Taking it past what we see on the outside and taking it who we are deep down in our souls. So when Jesus says, you have heard it say, you shall not murder, he's not abolishing that law. That's a good rule of thumb, right? I can confidently say that murder is bad and Jesus thinks that murder is bad. I feel very confident when I say that. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He also talks about how even the words we say can cause harm or damage to someone else. And it can even put us in a place of judgment before God. And the example that he gives us is calling someone worthless, or maybe your Bible says raka, which literally just means without worth or good for nothing, or a fool with ill intent. So when we say those words with ill intent, or with just careless intent, that you shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. All right, let's take a second to talk about hell. In the evangelical world, we hear the word hell, and we think that it's a place opposite of heaven, right? So when you die, you either go to heaven or you go to hell. And in our context, in our world, that's what we think of when we hear hell. And due to the influence of a poet named Dante, we get these glimpses of a really scary place with maybe like, torture, or different levels for how bad you were. But what the majority of people don't know is that Jesus is referring to an actual place on earth when he says hell. So it's a place that is common to them. And it's different than the actual place on earth. Maybe you've heard of the gates of hell. Um, Jesus is referring to the gates of hell. That was also a physical place on earth that Jesus is referring to. Um, but it's different than the one we're going to be talking about today. So The word hell here is actually the Greek word Gehenna, and that is a proper noun, which means that it's a specific place, Uh, and it's used for hell, and most of the time when you see the word hell in the Bible, it's referring to Gehenna, and it's a real place outside of the city of Jerusalem. So in the Old Testament, you can read this story, but there was a really deep ravine. And during a time when there was some really bad kings in charge there, they would commit like ritual sacrifices and even like human sacrifices. I know this is kind of a lot, but they would do that there. And Josiah in the Bible, in the Old Testament, he realized what they were doing and he desecrated the valley. And he, he said, no, we're not going to do anything in this valley anymore because this is an affront to what God believes in. right? They're killing people in this valley. And so over the years, it kind of turned into a city dump where they would dump garbage and dead animals and whatever. And they would take it and they would throw it in there and they would light it on fire. And it would burn up. And it's said to be so full all the time that the fire never went out. Because there was just fuel for the fire all the time. So it was literally just a landfill that was on fire. It was the first dumpster fire, essentially. Okay? That's what this was. It was a landfill that was perpetually on fire. And this was, a, it became a common phrase or a common thing that the worst fate that someone could ever meet was to fall into Gahena and or be thrown into Gahana as a punishment. That was the worst thing because not only was it filled with vile and gross things, but it was also, again, perpetually on fire. So they were like, this is like the worst thing that could happen to someone. But it was a real place. It was, it was the real place they were talking about. And it was gross. So when Jesus says, whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery Gahana, people were shocked. But Jesus is making a point of how damaging harsh words can really be, especially as a Christ follower. You might have heard the phrase, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Um, But in my family, we said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can hurt much deeper. And I think this is the beginning of a point that God is trying to make a lot in the Bible. Hurting someone physically is obviously really bad. We're we we can we're aware enough to know that hurting someone physically is a bad thing. But words can hurt someone in a much deeper place and oftentimes take longer to heal from. So when you hurt someone like that, it isn't something to just brush off. Jesus is saying when you hurt someone like that, it could land you in a really bad It can be sometimes worse than death, hearing some words. And so it's something that needs to be repented for. Making this example that people are like, don't even understand. So when I was looking into this verse, what a better place to start the first act of physical violence in the Bible, which is the first murder. And the story of Cain and Abel. So we're going to jump to the very beginning of the Bible and see what did God have to say from the very beginning about anger. So I'm going to read this story for us really quick. We're in Genesis 4, verses 3 through 10, if you want to follow along. It says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat, of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Counten- his attitude. He was kind of like, kind of like pouty look on his face. That's what you can kind of, when you say countenance, that's what that means. So it says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, why not your countenance be lifted up. If you do not do well. Its desire is for you. You must master it. Verse eight. Cain told Abel, his brother, and it came about when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? Cain's anger and jealousy drove him to commit the first murder. But I, what I thought was interesting about this is that God warns Cain about the anger that's inside of him. God says that there's anger festering into something dark in your soul. And if you don't take care of it, if you don't check it right now, you're, it's going to fester into something really bad in your heart. You need to master it. You need to take care of it. And this anger that came with, Cain was feeling came from jealousy and embarrassment. And eventually manifested in his life into something physically violent. In order for him to feel justified or righteous in his own point of view. And this is obviously very bad. And it led to a lot of consequences for Cain. If you've read this story, he did not have a great life after this. Because he was living with the consequences of his anger manifesting into physical violence. But... The other theme in the Bible that we have to explore, Jesus, is obviously that's very bad. And there are clear consequences, both legally in our society, but also personally that you're going to have to deal with. But again, Jesus doesn't leave it just there at physical violence. He takes it into something deeper, into a verbal violence. So the next thing I want to explore in my adventure through the Bible is that it brought me to almost the opposite end of the Bible, into the book of James. Now, James is the author of the book, which is why it's named James, and it was also the earthly brother of Jesus. So he grew up with Jesus in the same household, so he kind of has an idea for how Jesus viewed things. And if you've ever read the book of James, you know that this book does not mess around, okay? And one thing that it does not mess around about is anger and insults. It is very, James is very clear about it. So we're going to read some of what he has to say. We're going to start in James 1, verses 19 and 20. And it says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And there are so many reasons why I love this verse, but one is that it fits what we're trying to do so well. In our blessed method, the second step is listen. And if we pair the second step of the blessed method with this verse, I think we get a picture of what we're supposed to doing with people. is if we want to bless others, we need to be quick to listen to others. And they might tell us something that we don't like or we don't understand. And in that moment, we need to be slow to speak and slow to anger. Because our anger, human anger, does not have the righteousness or justice of God. But to that, because later, in verse 6 through 12, about verbal violence stemming from anger or callousness of heart, hardening of your heart. So I'm going to read that for us. Like I said, I'm sorry, guys. There's a lot of scripture, but we'll get into it. So it says, the body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and itself set on fire by Gahenats, that same word, hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. poison. And it doesn't just poison the victim of our words, but it poisons us too. It hardens our heart and it prevents us from truly being first. It puts us in contrast with each other. One of them has to be true and people aren't going to believe the, the good and uplifting version. We can't tear people down and lift others up truly with the same mouth. Not until we learn to control our anger and prevent it from callousing our hearts and controlling our words. But with all these talks of anger, I don't want you what I don't want you to hear is that being angry is a sin, because it's not. And if that was the case, then Jesus would have been a sinner, and that would throw everything that we believe out of whack. We know Jesus never sinned, but he did get angry. Jesus himself called a group of people fools, which is interesting considering the verse that we just read. But this is the difference between human anger, stemming from embarrassment, jealousy, bitterness, and the like, and righteous anger, which comes from seeing others be hurt or misled, searching for justice for people who have been oppressed. There's also a right and wrong way to express righteous anger. Jesus gave us lots of examples One of them is he flipped over tables in the temple for people who were charging money for worship materials or exchanging money there. Scammers, right? In Matthew 23, 23, he's angry enough with the Pharisees for the hypocritical spirit that they have and were misleading people with what they were teaching. He even calls them fools. But even in his anger, Jesus is delivering a warning. He's teaching in this moment. And if you read the woes to the Pharisees, you can see that Jesus isn't criticizing little things about them personally in order to have personal attacks against a person. He's giving a warning. He's saying, what you're doing is wrong, and this specific action that you're doing is foolish. And here's why. He's begging them to change their ways. He's begging them to repent and make it right with the people and make it right with God. So even in his anger, even though his words can be hard to hear— He's still doing it in a way that doesn't hit in that personal spot, right? He doesn't take it too far and degrade them as people. Jesus is careful to speak on only the things they were doing wrong as a form of accountability and not just a way to demean them. And admittedly, this is a hard line to follow. But I will say, Jesus was much better at finding that line than we are. He had help, right? Right? He kind of had a leg up. He's much better at finding that line than we are. And anger isn't a bad thing, but it can quickly lead to bitterness and callousness if we're not careful. But how are we supposed to distinguish between human anger and righteous anger? How do we prevent anger from hardening our hearts? And how when, how, and when do we express our righteous anger in order to prevent harm or protect other people? And unfortunately... There's no hard or fast answers to this. And believe me, I wish there was, because I need this lesson daily. I wish there was just a clear line that I could follow, but it's harder than that. I think it goes back to those first few verses we started on the Sermon on the Mount. Anger can be smaller and deadlier than we often assume it can be. And we need to try our best to keep our anger and our words in check. But there is so much grace for when we fall. Jesus is there to help us. He's there to help us control our anger, and he's he's there to help others who our anger hurts. But we've got to try. And that leads me to the last passage of Scripture that we are going to be reading today. And it's a little bit longer of a passage, but I just want to read it over us today because... Sometimes it's hard, and, you know, there's grace in everything, but we need to be quick to apologize and deal with the consequences of our anger, right? The, the consequences don't go away, but God is trying to make us better people, right? There is so much grace. When we fall down or when we say something we shouldn't have or we react in anger or whatever, God is there to help us get back on track, There's so much grace and forgiveness. It's not something that ultimately separates us from God forever, right? But it is something that can have consequences. And Jesus wants us to live a life that is free and full of community and beautiful friendship. And... There are some ways that we can do this, and that led me to our last passage of Scripture, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me when I was reading this section. It's a a long passage of Scripture, but my prayer for you and what I hope you will do is you will look at these words on the screen, and as I'm reading them out loud, really let the Spirit speak to you in a part of this. Let the Spirit address something in you, or affirm something in you. And And we'll meet back at the end, and we'll see how we're feeling, okay? So let's, I'm going to start reading this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin." Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work, doing something useful with their hands that they might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for in the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. As the band comes back up, I want us to remember these few things. We are children of God. Who he so dearly loves. But we are not perfect. And our words can hurt other people sometimes. But the good news is is we have been made new and we are continuing to be made new. Let us put off all bitterness and anger. Let us commit to listen to one another Let us be responsible for our share in the kingdom and use our words to lift each other up just as Christ lifts us up. Let's free from callousness and ask God to soften our hearts to both our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to those made in God's image in the world around us. My prayer for us is that God will continue to guide and correct us as we learn to control our anger and our tongue. So let's pray. God, thank you for your unimaginable grace. Thank you for making us new, calling us your children, even when we do things that hurt other people. God, I pray that you will break our hearts for what break yours. And I pray that in our human anger, our selfish anger, our embarrassed anger, God, that you will meet us there. So that we may not let that anger rule our lives anymore. I pray that you will continue to heal relationships that have been broken because of the words that we have said. I pray that you continue to soften our hearts